This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. We as Christians don't engage the culture very well, particularly when it comes to media. Writer, Hollywood producer, and cultural change agent, Bill Cook joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Nassadi. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates and I'm here with Armin Nassadi. And we are bringing you, I think, a very special treat today. Right, Armin? That's right. Just because of the person we got on here is going to make both Larry and I's day. Yeah, he already has because, you know, we we record these shows and then we go back and we do the introduction later. And so we are just ecstatic about our guest coming up on the show here today. He's really had an impact in our culture, in shaping our culture and using media to do that. That's right. And that's the topic we're going to be covering is this idea of influence via media and social media and whatever else the Phil's even touched and been a part of. But if there is a person who can talk on this. This is the guy. Yeah, Phil Cook has been helping major national churches and ministries impact the culture through media. He is the executive producer of Let Hope Rise, the Hillsong movie that was in theaters last fall. He was the producer of The Insanity of God, a feature documentary that was aired nationwide. And he's appeared on NBC, MSNBC, CNN, CNBC, Fox News. And his work has been profiled in The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Wall Street Journal, and now on the Bold Idea Podcast. He has finally arrived. <laughs> yeah, of course. Finally arrived. His, his, his plane has landed right here in a big thud on the Bold Idea Podcast. He is also the author of several books, One Big Thing, Branding Faith and Unique. And now get this, CNN has described him as the only working producer in Hollywood with, guess what, a PhD in theology. <laughs> that puts him in a class by right. himself. He becomes an enigma very quickly it, with that degree. It, exactly. <laughs> Well, Phil Cook, welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. So glad you can be with us today. Thank you, Larry. I'm thrilled to be here. This is fun. Oh, yeah, totally. And and I've been reading a lot about you. And boy, I, <laughs> I think this is going to be like, got to be one of these multi-part interviews here because I think we've got a lot to cover because you are covering a lot of ground that's near and dear to my heart. But I want to start with something that I've never heard before. And CNN describes you as I put in the introduction they describe you as the only working producer in Hollywood with PhD in theology so weird mix yeah, yeah. Weird mix. <laughs> so here, here's the question how did you get from there to where you are today well it's a long story my dad was a pastor I grew up behind the scenes in church I printed a million bulletins I mowed the grass at our cemetery I filled thousands and thousands of communion cups over the years but I never had a shred of a moment's desire to preach I never felt called into the ministry as such. Mm. And I started college as a music major because that's what you do when you're a pastor's son. You play <laughs> the piano. And I met the faculty, realized they were serious. So I got out of there really fast. <laughs> and um, I stumbled into the, the film department. I had made some movies in high school with some of my friends, really bad Super 8 movies with my dad's film camera. And I just got into the film thing and it clicked. And I, I just realized that I can do something with a camera that will make people talk. And that's what I'm supposed to do for a living. And so I took off and it wasn't long before I realized that actually the two mix, I got my master's degree in journalism. I really focused on writing, but I've always loved school. My dad had a couple PhDs and I've, I inherited that. I love to go to college. So I started exploring around and when it comes to communication at the PhD level, it's all research. It's all oh, just horrible, horrible stuff. <laughs> and so most of the ministry, the clients we work with are ministries or churches. And I, I spend my life working with pastors and church leaders, and I was always fascinated by theology. So I said, you know what? I need to speak that language. So I had to take a few extra classes to catch up, but I ended up doing it. I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the movie The Shawshank Redemption, which kind of freaked out my, my professors. <laughs> But it was great. It's great. It's unusual, but yeah, here I am. Well, there you are. Yeah. And you've got a lot of projects that you have underway or yeah. that you've done over your lifetime. And along the way here, you've discovered something about yourself. And you wrote a book called One Big Thing, Discovering What You Were Born to Do. And so I just want to start with, you know, what was the one big thing that you discovered you were meant to do? And when did you discover it? Probably in, in college. I actually, you know, it's funny when I, when I mentioned taking 
film class, I was unpacking my freshman year in college, and a couple of little movies of mine that I'd made in high school fell out of my suitcase, and a guy across the hall said, hey, I can show you how to edit those. I didn't even know you could actually edit film. And he took me down to the film department, and the professor was down there. And we're working on my little movie, and he is watching over his shoulder and came up to me, introduced himself, and said, you know, I, I've got students that have been taking class, film class for years, and they don't do this well. Can I show your film in my class tomorrow? Mm. And I said, well, sure, if I can sit on the back row and just kind of watch. So I did. And the next day, he showed my movie, and it was terrible. Believe me, it wasn't anything genius. But they got to talking. And just like I said earlier— this thought hit me, this bolt of lightning moment happened where I realized if I can do something with a camera that makes people talk like this, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I changed my major that day and literally I've never looked back. And, and I realized over the years that I could reach more people with the gospel in a single movie or a single television program than my father, the pastor, reached during his entire lifetime of ministry. And so obviously it's not the same thing, but being a filmmaker, being a television producer, I just have an opportunity to reach an incredible audience. And so that's where I've started to focus my life. And and it's made a big difference. We've been very fortunate and done some really interesting things over the years. And where did you start when you first left college then? What did you find yourself doing? Did you go into I, business for yourself I, or find an occupation? Or When I was in college, actually, I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that was back in the day Oral Roberts was doing primetime television specials, and he was bringing the crew out from Hollywood to shoot at a studio that he had built in Tulsa. And I got on the crew as a sophomore in college. I was just, you know, pushing sets around and setting lights and plugging in cables. And I got on the crew, worked my way up. When I, when I graduated, I moved to L.A. to seek my fame and fortune. But after about a year, they called me up and said, would you come back and start directing our programs? And so... I went back as an assistant director, and it wasn't long before I started directing the programs. And I worked with Oral for a number of years after that, finally ended up moving to L.A. And I just developed relationships over the years with a number of ministries, from Billy Graham to Joel Osteen and everybody in between, wide range of ministries and churches. And I just realized that we as Christians don't engage the culture very well, particularly when it comes to media. And, mm -hmm. you know, trust me— it, you know, I'll be busy for the rest of my life if you've seen much Christian television or seen many Christian movies. There's a lot mm -hmm. of work to be done. So I just started working with churches and ministries and organizations. We've done other things. We've done Super Bowl commercials over the years, PBS specials, a few movies. But our focus primarily has been trying to help Christians engage the culture more effectively, particularly when it comes to media. Yeah. So you were one of the first to talk about branding and media with church leaders what did you tell church ministry leaders why they need to think about these things? Well, you know, it's interesting that branding is essentially how to tell your story. It's the perception. To put it in a simple way, it's what do people think of when they think of you? And we live in this digital culture today. We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. And no longer do people give you the time to hear your message or to worship with you on Sunday or to read your book or hear your podcast. People decide, some research came out about nine months ago that indicates when people meet someone for the first time or they experience something for the first time, they decide what they think within the first four to eight seconds. Mm -hmm. The truth is we live in an eight-second world. And in that world, I'm glad your sermon is fantastic. I'm glad your worship is terrific. But in an eight-second world, who's the first person a visitor meets when they walk in the door? What does your lobby look like? What's your parking experience look like? Because People today start making those decisions right away. So branding is really about that perception that people have. And I discovered that if there's not a positive perception out there, they're not going to take the time to come in and actually hear your message or hear what you have to say. So more than ever in this distracted, disrupted culture we live in, we need to be thinking about what that initial perception is, because that's what either opens the door or shuts the door to a, a person experiencing your message and what you're all about. At the time that you were doing this and saying this to churches, I can't imagine they listened to you and thought, you're right, we should do this right away. What was I that was, experience like? I was the mad prophet in the desert. Yeah, I had a lot of people tell me I was an idiot. And <laughs> people just, and they, they mean well, they just didn't get it. They've never really heard it put in those kind of terms. And, you know, really, it's all about my job is to help a ministry leader, a pastor, an organization, get their message in front of the most people possible. And that's ultimately what marketing really is. How do we portray your message in the best possible light to as many people as possible? And I think once they started seeing that and seeing that it's not about compromising your message, it's not at all about 
compromising. It's literally about getting your message heard by as many people as possible. Once they saw that, then I think they started to realize maybe this guy's onto something. Maybe we need to start paying attention. And it just kind of grew from there. So when you look at the culture today and Christian community use of media in the culture, what are some of the things that you see are challenges or the missteps or the missed opportunities that we are not embracing? Well, there's a number of things. I think that take websites, for instance, in my experience, having done this for about 30 years now, in my experience, most people, most potential visitors, most potential new people will check you out online before they come. So I ask pastors, why is your website so lame? I mean, the truth is, if your website is the key that makes a person decide whether or not they want to visit, that should rock. I mean, that should be one of the best things you do. So little things like that that people just really don't think a lot about actually make a huge impact on people. So that's true. Social media is something else. You know, most of us use social media to let people know we're at Starbucks or show them a picture of our lunch. But the truth is, social media can be a very, very powerful tool for sharing your faith with people. Uh, or for mobilizing people to accomplish something. So I talk a lot, particularly to young professionals and young ministry leaders, about, you know, it's time to start shifting your thinking from social media being about friends and family and having fun to maybe think about using it to actually share your expertise with the world, share your message with the world. How do you establish yourself out there, build an audience? There's some powerful things you can do with social media, and it doesn't cost a penny. I'm a big advocate for that. So I've heard that before, but I think everything gets lost in the how-to side of things. So where would you even begin to take someone who's green around social media marketing and guide them through the process of how they could get their own personal brand out there? You know, one of the things I always tell people to start with is become an authority at something. You know, it's not enough to be a pastor. It's not enough to be a coach. It's not enough to be a teacher or a salesman. You ought to be an expert at some area. I was thinking this morning about coaches and It's one thing to be a coach. It's another thing to narrow that niche down and be a quarterback coach. Then you could narrow that niche down and be a quarterback coach that specializes in passing or a quarterback coach that specializes in teaching quarterbacks how to lead the team. One of the things I've discovered with branding is the narrower the niche, or as our British friends say, the niche, the narrower the niche, the more chance of you standing out. I teach directors and producers in Hollywood a lot, and I tell directors, You can try to be the best director in Hollywood, but you're going to compete against Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino and thousands of others. What about being the best director at a certain type film or a certain budget range or a certain type of scene? Those kind of things narrow the field enormously and allow you to stand out. So number one, try to become an authority in some area. Don't just be a pastor. Be a pastor who's an expert. You know, a great example is my pastor, Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford, we've been at Jack's church for 20-some years, and I consider Jack the Protestant Pope, and I've heard him preach thousands and thousands of messages over the years. But Mm -hmm. if you cut Jack, he'll bleed worship. Worship is the lens that he sees everything through. He's written five books on worship. He's written a hundred worship songs. He even led the worship at our church for 20-some years. So that's the lens he sees. No matter what he preaches on, he does it through that lens. So I encourage people, become an authority, become focused in a certain area, and that's what actually gets you noticed. I didn't mean to rant. I'm sorry, sorry no, about that, but that's, that's, that's so important. So how do you become, or I shouldn't even say become, but how do you even know what you should become an expert at? Well, you have to buy my book, One Big Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. Oh, there's a number of things, you know. It starts at what you're really passionate about, but it's interesting that in my book, One Big Thing, I talk about passion derails people. I'm not really a big passion person. It actually hmm. derailed my career for years. For instance, I'll get screenplays from Christians who will send me a screenplay and say, Phil, I'm so passionate about writing. I'm so passionate about screenwriting. Well, I'm glad, but you're terrible at it. You're just a really terrible (laughs) screenwriter. So passion alone doesn't do it. We have to figure out what we're really wired to do. And I think in my book, One Big Thing, I talk about very simple things. For instance, I'll give you a great example. What were you known for when you were younger? For instance, When you sat around the table, remember the high school prom and you were on the planning committee and you sat around the table with the planning committee and people would say, Bob, you're really funny. Why don't don't you be the host? Or Joyce, you're a good writer. Why don't you come up with a tagline and a theme? Or Sam, you're fantastic with numbers. You, You should do the budget. Other people notice our giftings very often before we do. 
And so I tell people, go back, think about what people, how people referred to you. What are the jobs? You know, sometimes I think my only job back in those days was the guy that organized everybody when we went to the mall. Remember before cell phones, you had to have somebody who kept track of everybody in the family. Whatever it was, go back and see what was unique about you, what people noticed, because that starts to point you in the direction of what you're gifting and what your one big thing could actually be. When you and I were dialoguing about setting up this interview, you kind of just put it out there in fairly raw form. If you don't mind, I'd like to say you oh, described yeah. your purpose as making sure Christians don't suck when it comes to using the media, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. I jokingly will say that, and I don't mean to be crude, but it's actually that's what I do, and yeah. there's a lot of work to be done. So I was just thinking about the convergence of you know your skill in this area, but also the felt need. I mean, you see that in the market where there's a lot of missteps, some of what you've just described already, or missed right. opportunities, perhaps, you know, you're not attentive to the, the need for it. And then, so you don't necessarily see the value behind it. And I'm guessing that some pastors are probably wondering about, you know, all right, I could invest, you know, X thousands of dollars in building out a website, but how do I actually know that that is returning my, on my investment? You know, I could drive it down to a personal level. I could spend time, showcasing my expertise on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. And how do I measure the, you know, whether that's making a difference for me or not. And it may not just be in numbers or economics. It's probably in other things too. we we'll talk about that. Yeah, you're exactly right, Larry. It's not just in numbers. Very often it's in influence. Social media is a great example. You know, Armin mentioned, what are the things I can actually do? What are the steps I can take? One of the places I tell people to start is with your social media bio. You know, everybody's got a bio on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram. And so many people want to be an expert at social media or a pastor. or They want to be a teacher or a coach or whatever. And I go to their social media bio and it says, I love sunsets and walks on the beach and puppies. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you do. But what does that tell me about who you are, or what your passion is or what you're focused on? So number one, get your bio straightened out, getting that in line to talk about. And it doesn't mean you pat yourself on the back. I saw one worship leader recently, his Twitter bio was one of America's foremost singer songwriters. And I thought, no, that's a little over the top, but you should at least <laughs> use your social media bio to describe who you are. Your photograph is something else. You know, even the banner picture, I, I, I met a guy the other day who wanted to be a television director and I went to see his social media bio and the banner photo behind it was of kittens. And I, and I thought, I'm glad you like kittens, but that doesn't tell me anything about who you are. So just little things like actually utilizing your social media bio, the pictures and the posts you do, you can really focus that and help people understand who you are and what you're all about. And, and back to the, is it worth it or not? There's no question. You know, I've got about 33, 34,000 followers on Twitter. And I look at that seriously, you know, in a weird sort of way that makes me pastor of one of the largest churches in America. So I want to help these people. Obviously, if 33,000 people have signed up to follow me and hear what I have to say, I'm not going to send them pictures of my lunch. I'm not going to let them know I'm shopping at, you know, wherever. I want to actually encourage them. I want to build them up. I want to give them tips and ideas, things that will help. Certainly, we can have fun. I have a lot of fun. In fact, my Instagram account is just about, about all about having fun. But we can encourage people. And you'd be amazed at the number of people that will start following you when you start sharing significant things, you know, unique things from your perspective that comes from you only. People love that. I think the single greatest pe reason, this is a little tidbit I'll drop on you for free. The single biggest reason people follow you on social media is because they want to know what it's like to be you. You know, in your case, you're a podcaster of a major national podcast. What is that like? I'd like to hear behind the scenes stories. I'd like to hear insight about your guests. I'd love to hear about what you're struggling with before a show or how to come up with themes for shows. People want to know what it's like to be you. So I tell pastors all the time, give us some insight. Tell us what's going through your mind when you're struggling to develop that sermon series or you've dealt with a particularly difficult situation with a family at church. You don't have to give names or expose things. Just tell me a little bit about what it's like and you'll find that people love to follow that. Well, it's pretty awesome being Larry. I can tell you that. <laughs> imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, this is a special episode in my heart because not only the topic, but we have the generosity of our listeners that are making this possible.
That's my favorite sponsorship so far. If we could get our podcast sponsored by our listeners every time, it would make my day because there isn't a greater compliment that we could possibly receive than that. Oh, totally. And, you know, we love our business sponsors as well. But right. there's something when you as an individual decide, hey, I'm going to invest in this because I'm getting something from it. That's right. And this is a passion project for us. It's not like we get paid for this. So anytime we see people investing in us, it means the absolute world to us. So thank you so much for doing this. And if you want to see this continue to happen, please just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate and make your investment there. And this is a tax deductible contribution. <laughs> hey, so Phil, I want to, I want to, dissect something with you for a minute. And and that is what seems perhaps like a paradox, right? The use of social media, which tends to promote only positive impressions about what's going on. And usually in large part, it's not very deep. And yet at the same time, you have people who have a strong desire to have an influence and make a difference and persuade people to follow Christ in richer and more meaningful ways. So what are some of the ways you've found or maybe some of the best practices you've seen of leaders that have real influence that are using social media and maybe even their broader media platforms to create a more authentic expression of who they are rather than what I think we see a lot is the I love puppies thing that you just talked about. Yeah, I think it's always about driving people to go deeper. I'll give you a great example. In my case, I have a blog at philcook.com. I'm cook with an E on the end. So I, I, I write my blog almost every day at philcook.com and I'll post something and I'll link it on Facebook. I'll link it on Twitter. I'll talk about it on Instagram. It's like a virtuous circle. I, I talk a little bit about it. I'll ask questions. I'll ask provocative things about it, but it all is about driving people back to my blog. And then my blog is about driving people to my books and my books are largely about driving people to come hear me speak or come to an event that we do. So it's always with a purpose of driving people to go to a deeper level. And nobody can do that better than a pastor because ultimately you're trying to get people to show up. You're trying to get people to be a part of the worship community, to experience the church, to experience the fellowship and the teaching firsthand. So as much as possible, we always want to use social media to drive people toward doing something, going deeper, acting, something along that line. I think it's important. And the truth is, over the years, I have to say, I've seen people get out of abusive relationships because of social media, that something triggered them. They found help. I've seen them join churches. They found out through social media. I've seen them accept Christ in a way that started through social media. There's so many ways that I've seen social media activate someone to do something positive in their life. It's very hard for me to not take it seriously, just Mm. based on things I've seen. Yeah. So now when you when you decide you have a good day or a bad day in your life, I mean, what makes a good day for you? I mean, when you get up in the morning and you just are fired up to do something, you know, kind of where are you coming alive right now in this phase of your career? Being interviewed on your podcast, of course. <laughs> well, that was big for me today, too, so we shared that in common. <laughs> it's going to be downhill from here for me. <laughs> no, you know, I think there's a couple things out there, and that's a great question. And oddly enough, I ask myself that question almost every day. I really struggle. I mean, I'm the guy that helps people figure out their one big thing and figure out their unique voice and their brand and their perception. But I struggle with that myself. I mean, just to be perfectly brutally honest, I struggle with that myself. And I'm always looking at how we can engage culture more effectively. I think one of the single biggest reasons Christianity is being marginalized in the culture today, one of the single biggest reasons we're not a part of the conversation anymore like we used to be, is that we we just don't tell our story well. We just don't tell our story well. And I see examples of it all the time. I'll give you a great example. Very often in Hollywood, when a movie comes out that we don't like or you know, a studio does something that we don't like, we call for a boycott. You know, if boycotts worked, why don't missionaries do it? You know, let's go to a third world country, surround a <laughs> tribe of people, hold up signs, call them names, criticize them. Yeah, that'll win them to Christ. Uh-huh. That doesn't work. If it's not going to work for a missionary, it's not going to work trying to change Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So I think my passion, really my focus, what gets me excited these days is trying to help people understand that we have to change the way we engage culture, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's politics, whether it's the teachers unions, whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever public space there is. And, you know, oddly enough, 
the gay community has done a brilliant job of this. I mean, mm-hmm. this is what, 3% of our population? Yeah. And yet look at the impact they've had in entertainment and culture and politics and education and law. They've literally transformed the culture that we live in today because they've understood it takes a strategy and we have to be able to engage the media and you know, we just have to be able to tell our story well. They do a brilliant job and we have really fallen behind in trying to engage the culture in that way. And why do you suppose that is? I mean, is it because of self-interest trumps this larger pursuit of strategy? I I think that could be a big part of it. I think a big part of it is the fact that in my lifetime, certainly, we've always been the dominant force in the culture. You know, this was not a Christian country. However, Christian principles and values, you know, for most of my life, have been the dominant thought in the country. For instance, when I was a kid growing up, of course we said prayers in schools. That's just what you did. Abortion was wrong. You know, a man and a woman, that's what marriage was. Mm-hmm. And we just assume that that's the way life was. Well, suddenly we're seeing all these values shift and two things are happening. Number one, we're not sure what to do. And the other group out there gets mad. There's a lot of Christians out there that just get angry. And nobody changes their behavior because you yell at them. Nobody changes their behavior because you get mad at them. And I think we've just responded poorly to seeing the way the culture has shifted. And in order to position ourselves and our argument and our principles as the more positive way, we've got to engage better. We've got to make people want to be interested in what we're talking about. And again, that goes back to the whole perception issue. If they don't perceive that these are people we want to talk to and engage with, and this is a possible thing, we're never going to get very far. So I think that's a big part of why we've lost so much ground in the last 20, 30 years. So I'm smiling as you're talking about engaging the community around us, at least the non-Christians. And I always think about Christian media and the Christian movies I see. And more often than not, no matter how much they say they're geared towards the unsaved or the non-Christian... And then you watch the movie and you think, if I was not a Christian and I didn't understand and speak all this Christianese, I would have absolutely no idea what I was watching. And even <laughs> if I did, I would think this is the cheesiest Hallmark movie of all time. Yeah. So yeah. You, you've how, got how do it. we You're engage? Exactly right. and, I, and I'll tell you what's worse. You know, the number one category in Christian publishing right now, the biggest selling category in Christian publishing is Amish fiction. What? Amish fiction. Are you so, serious? You know, and I got nothing wrong with, I got no problems with Amish fiction. If you write it or you read it, God bless you. However, it kind of makes me upset that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and Christians are focused on Amish fiction. You talk about disengaging from where the culture is. Hello. We're going to talk to our friend Wes Yoder about that. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Wes, Wes can deal with that. Oh. Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff we can dive into here, but I'd like to just talk about your personal journey through the many years of being what sounds like to me, Phil, you're like a winsome warrior. You know, you've got this mission to be winsome in how you confront the culture and having the church do that in a winsome way, it seems like. And over the years that you've done this, how have have you found your faith strengthened in taking steps that you didn't expect to take, or, you know, this is the put your faith to work podcast. So we want to explore where are some areas that God called you into something that maybe you weren't quite yet prepared for, but you were strengthened when you took the step. A good question. You know, uh, people talk about God opens doors for them with me. God shuts doors. I don't know if it's because I'm overly aggressive or I'm trying too many things, (laughs) but God is busier corralling me than he is opening doors. So and it's, it's frustrating, honestly. I mean, I've had some incredible opportunities that didn't present themselves or incredible opportunities to direct a national advertising campaign, produce a movie, write a major book, whatever. And for whatever reason, that door unexpectedly shut. And even to this day, in many cases, I can't tell you why. Mm. But looking back, I feel like it's probably God just keeping me focused. I think possibly because I'm a little on the ADD side, you probably haven't noticed, I'm bouncing off the walls and looking at every opportunity that I can to engage, to create, to produce. I just, I want to make stuff. And I think most of my challenges have been, I'm just either trying too hard or looking at too many places. So my journey has actually been strengthened by God actually shutting doors. It's frustrating. I I have to admit, I get really upset with God. I've been reading Job lately. That's been helping. (laughs) 
but, uh, do you have some pottery you can scrape yourself with <laughs> yes I, i'm going to be doing that right after the interview <laughs> it's just really interesting how, how that's worked and here's the thing i've seen the worst of the worst of the worst one of the things guys that that i do a lot of is churches and ministries will call me when a pastor or leader falls from grace mm. say a pastor runs off with a secretary or steals money or has an affair or whatever I had a situation with a uh, associate pastor who was a pedophile. Mm. They'll call me because they want to know how do we deal with the media? What do we say? How do we how do we you know share this with the congregation? There's a lot of media issues. How do we deal with it online? There's a you know when this digital world we live in, that's a big part of managing a crisis like that. And what's interesting is I've seen the worst of the worst. Trust me, I've seen the worst of the worst. But I have never ever been cynical. Never. I, I just have to say that I've always been fortunate to realize that God is bigger than whatever bonehead happens to be representing him at any given time. You know, what? I, I just get, I actually get angry with people that say, because pastor so-and-so fell, I'm walking away from God. Yeah. Or because I saw him lie, I'm walking away from God. That is so shallow. That is such a cheap cop-out. Certainly God is bigger than any of the mistakes we could possibly make. And so I've been encouraged that that stuff doesn't make me cynical at all. It just shows me that God is still alive doing remarkable things in our world and in our culture. And we do have to be better at telling that story, sh- showing that. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I've seen a lot of bad stuff. And it, by the grace of God, I've just not got cynical. I've gotten cynical. I'm just more more than ever. I just, I was thinking today, I just really want to focus my life on how do we get that message in front of more and more people? Yeah. How do we get the gospel in front of more and more people? That's really what I want to focus on. Do you find yourself turning back to in your in your mind back to some advice repeatedly that you might have received over your career that that's really kind of helped you get through, you know, either the challenges or the disappointments along the way? Oh, go ahead. Put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot. There's a lot of that. Gosh, now you're, I'm blanking because you're putting me on the spot. But let's move on. And I'll think of one of those things okay. and board it out in the middle of another question here. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you're right. I do. Yeah, well, that's okay. So, Phil, tell tell me, what's what's the next bold idea for you? What's next in your life? There's a couple things. The Museum of the Bible is opening in Washington, D.C. on November 17th. I don't know if you've heard about that. This will be the most technologically advanced museum in the world. It already has the largest collection of ancient Christian artifacts in the world. Two blocks from the Capitol, three blocks from the Air and Space Museum. It could not be in a more pivotal location in Washington, D.C., and they selected us, our company, Cook Pictures, to do all the media for them. So for the last two years, we've been shooting archaeological digs in the Middle East. I'm going to Germany in a week to shoot the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. The museum is doing a huge exhibit there in honor of that. This past summer, we were in Cuba. The museum did the very first public exhibition of the Bible since the revolution in Cuba, oh. since 1959. And people stood in line just around the block to try to get in to see the exhibit. It was really quite remarkable. And so that's been a big, that's taken up a lot of our bandwidth is trying to do that. That's incredibly important. The other thing that that we're getting ready to just start working on, we just did a trailer to, to show some potential investors, is to do a feature documentary, a theatrical feature documentary on the resurrection. You know, the resurrection is that one thing that if it didn't happen, we're wasting our time. Yes. But if it did happen, it changes everything. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen, there have been obviously dramatic movies on Jesus' life, but I've never seen a, a real hardcore documentary look at, did this happen? And it's not just about what the Bible says about it. I want to interview archaeologists and historians and, and biblical scholars and medical experts. Could he have been resurrected from the dead? And is it likely that he was? We want to really take a serious look at that. And I think if we could do that in the form of a theatrical feature film that that we put out in theaters all over the country, I think that could create quite a stir because it would certainly open the pot up for a big discussion on the possibility of the resurrection. And so it would be millions of dollars in the making. And, and we're, we're really starting to focus on that in a big way. Well, I'm I'm online right now to buy my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're Sounds doing some good. amazing stuff, Phil. So I, I, I want to put you on the spot now. There's a yeah. lot of people that I know are listening that are on the verge of doing something or verge of walking away from their call or whatever it might be. And I want to put you in the spot to inspire us. What would you say to a person that is questioning their call or questioning their destiny in God? 
Awesome question. And a couple things I'd say. Number one, it's never too late. One of the things I point out in my book, One Big Thing, is that Robert Morse was a painter. Most of his career was a painter. In his late 50s, he lost a big commission in Washington, D.C., was so frustrated, he decided to give it up, go back to his apartment, and he started tinkering with this little box that he called a telegraph. Robert Morse invented the telegraph late in life, and it literally transformed the world. I can go on and on of people that incredibly late in life, they changed paths. They discovered what that one big thing really was for them, and it had an incredible impact on the world. So number one, it's never, ever too late. Do not, do not ever believe that. The second thing is it's never too early. Some of your listeners may be in their teens or 20s and think, you know, I'm going to build this thing up. Well, we have this thing in Hollywood called Q scores. Q scores are a mathematical formula. They're an algorithm that judges how influential a celebrity is. So before I spend $30 million to hire Matt Damon or someone else to be in my movie, I want to make sure he's got influence. People are going to buy tickets. He's popular. They like him, whatever. Every year they release the top 20, what we call Q scores in Hollywood that tells us who are the top 20 most influential and popular celebrities in Hollywood. Guess what? In 2016, for the first time, the top seven most influential people in Hollywood were YouTube stars, most of them in their early 20s, all of them shooting programs in their parents' basement or in a spare bedroom. They are now the most influential celebrities in Hollywood. So the dynamic has changed, even in your teens or 20s. Wow. And some of these some of these were as young as 12, 14 years old. What? Even in your teens and 20s, you can be remarkably influential in the culture. So don't give up on either end of the spectrum. God could be building a platform for you so that at the right moment, at the right time, he could actually use you and make a difference. So I always caution people, don't walk away. However, be brutally honest about your gifts and your talent. You know, I mentioned screenwriters before that are passionate about writing, but they're terrible at it. Yeah. You know, be brutally honest, get the input of other people, study, you know, that whole study to show yourself approved scripture matters. If we're going to engage the culture today, we need to be really, really good at what we do. Wow. Really good at what we do if we're going to get their attention. Well, Armin, that yeah. has to be really inspiring for you because I think you can resurrect the Armin the dream. Oh, no. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. The YouTube video, Armin the dream. I think you've got a chance here now, buddy. I mean, I was thinking about stripping down to my underwear and moving into my parents' basement. See if yeah, I can make the top eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil, I want to thank you again for being on the Bold Idea Podcast. So many things to think about, and I really love the mission that you have to inspire leaders to use media in a way that is is winsome and influential in the world. And, and I think that's a good message for all of us in, in whatever occupation or vocation we have. I agree. And, and you guys do a brilliant job, by the way. You know, it's interesting about podcasting. Podcasting is coming back in a big way. It, was, it started big. It kind of went away for a while. Nobody really noticed podcasting for a long time. And I've noticed in the last year or two, podcasting is roaring back and people are really engaging in it. So I applaud what you're doing. I mean, it's you're, you're, you're right in the heart of where people are and people are having that cultural conversation. So good work. Well, thanks for being such a good part of a great product here with uh, this interview. And That's we right. appreciate your being here. Now, how can our listeners find out about you? Phil Cook, P-H-I-L-C-O-O-K-E, is my blog. Everything starts there. I write almost every day on issues of faith, culture, and media. I don't do politics. I don't do recipes. I don't do sports. It's strictly faith, culture, and media. <laughs> and you don't do media. puppies, right? <laughs> I don't do puppies or kitties. <laughs> PhilCook.com. And, and actually, that's my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle, PhilCook.com. And you can go on Facebook and just type in Phil Cook, and it'll find me. So I, and I would love to engage with people there. I encourage people to go and challenge me. I, have, I leave my comments open. So people can go and call me an idiot if they want to, and, and we can have some interesting discussions. So I'd love to see people there. Well, we'll have all that on our show notes as well, your links as well, so that they can get to you as well as your motion picture company. Phil, thanks again for being on the program today. Thank you. It's been terrific. Yeah, thanks. Man, oh man, that's Phil Cook, and I want to have him back on the podcast again. I, I just want him to manage me and tell me what I should do. <laughs>
Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, that's that's that quite selfish? all right, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you go, oh, you know, if if we weren't taping this and we had to worry about people, you know, dropping off like flies, we just keep going, right? That's probably true. <laughs> just for our own selfish needs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And who cares if you guys care about what we're what questions we're asking? Is really important to us now, you know? So no, definitely one of those guys. You go. I think I could really soak a bunch of stuff up from you, but. Armin, lead us off here. Let's, no, no, let's, no, no, uh, no. Let's You're not putting this, this on thing. Me. Okay. This, okay. This is this is your world. You do a lot of this consulting and coaching, so you have met your brother in arms here. Oh man, here, I'm so telling I'm you. That you got. Okay. Well, anyway, I think one of the, the one of the key things that he said. What, let me just step back and take it from a really high level. What I loved about how Phil thinks is that he thinks strategically. Right. He right. he says, look, it's it's a it's two parts. It's about getting your word out as broadly as you can, right? which, you know, oftentimes as Christians, we're like, oh, no, you know, I don't want to make it, put myself out there. I, you know, it's like, you know, whatever God does, right. blah, blah, blah. And, and he's saying, you know, if you want to make an impact, find out ways that you can make an impact. Get your word out there. Don't be afraid. And, you know, kind of Jesus said something like, don't put your light under a bushel, right? right. I mean, I think that's what Phil's saying. Like, hey, you've got the best message on the planet. Yeah. Why don't you think about strategically about how you get it out there? So how do you move your audience? And you remember he said that I saw that film was a way to reach people in ways that my dad could never have imagined as a pastor. Right. He said he reached more with one movie than his dad did in an entire lifetime of ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Now, maybe not quite to the same depth, and I think he made that point, but he was still like, how do I think about strategically about how I use my time in a way that generates the most amount of return? So I love that. And then he talked about not only getting the audience out there, but paying attention to their initial perception. He talked about eight seconds. You know, you got eight seconds to make a difference. So right. like, not that everything can be con condensed into an eight second sound burst, but we often don't recognize even some of the ways the brain works in just saying, hey, I'm going to decide if I've got attention for this and am I intriguing enough. And what Phil has done in how he thinks and how he, well, at least in this conversation, is to say, look, think strategically about what you're trying to do. And if your life mission is to change other people, is, is to be a reconciler of other people to God and bring them to that be winsome and be thoughtful about how you do that because you have an opportunity and you don't want to let that opportunity be wasted. And yeah. I just love that lens. That's right. I think there is one thing that he did say in terms of how you influence people where he was talking about being niche and becoming an expert. Um, and then you look at his book where it says this one big thing and I think where I kind of disconnected with Phil, where I, I was right along with him. I agree with everything he's saying. I want to do that. And I think where my disconnect is, is I always don't feel like I have my one big thing per se. Like, I, I don't know what that is. I don't know how to find out what it is or if I even have one. Yeah. Well, he did say the way you find out is you read his book. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Which I'm partly in it. I'm partly through it. I'm not all the way through it. But I think that, that that was the only piece of disconnect where I had where I was like, oh man, I don't what if I don't have my one big thing? What now what? Yeah. Well, you know what? I've been reading his book and his book is really excellent. And you know, this has been we're now recording this several weeks actually since mm -hmm, we met mm -hmm. with him. So I hadn't read his book before we started the interview and now I have. I'm like, yeah, this is a good book and it's worth reading. And it is one of those where, you know, he defines the one big thing as a way in which you describe what it is that you're all about. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you now have to just pick one little niche. I mean, he did talk about the value of bringing down your market, you know, to a smaller market so that what I refer to as narrow your market so you broaden your appeal. Right. And I find a lot of resistance in marketing when I talk to my clients about that because they want to stay open. And a lot of us do because we have a lot of interest. And Phil would say in his book, this isn't to say you cut your interest down, it, but it is to say you're going to do better if you describe yourself as this is the lens by which you should look at me through. Right. And in our interview with him, he said, hey, I'm going to change the culture. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. We change the culture through media and that's his lens but you look at what phil has an interest in and it's pretty broad yeah you know he, do, he does have a lot have you ever heard of this topic that's out there they call it the seven mountaintops of something it's like the seven mountaintops of influence or something like that have you ever heard of that 
Yeah, well, so you're talking mandate. about you're you're talking about media, government, education, a business, religion. Is that what you're referring yep, to? Family. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like the one thing we've missed out on for so long is this media aspect that Phil talks on. So all that to say, the reason I find this conversation that we're having with Phil so important is I feel like from a Christian perspective, it's one of the mountaintops that we don't do very well with, right? It's the one mountaintop that we always avoid or we always demonize or when we utilize it, we utilize it in a way that's so irrelevant to the people that aren't Christians that we can't actually grab them, right? Because they don't know what we're talking about. Or even the movies that I mentioned in yep. there, right? Great. I'm not saying they're bad movies, but I'm a Christian, right? If yep. I, I remember a day when I wasn't Christian and I could watch any one of those Christian movies and it would have been turned off within 15 minutes, yeah, right? Because they're irrelevant and they speak a type of language that just makes no sense to yep. me or it's just so cheesy right. that I, I think a Hallmark movie <laughs> is rated R compared to it, you know? Yeah. And so... The reason I find what Phil is talking about so important is that we have this tool sitting in front of us and it's a power tool. We no longer have to chop down a tree with a hammer. He's saying, hey, there's a chainsaw in front of you Mm -hmm. that you can use to cut down this tree. And here's how you can use it and leverage it to literally expand the kingdom of God or influence people for the kingdom of God. But here's all the ways that we're not doing that. And here's how you can be better at it. But still, I know from being in multiple churches, that there's this kind of stiff arm to that, yep. right? Like, uh, yeah. we don't, we don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think Phil said without saying it quite so directly, but I think he felt like saying when he did intimate that, you know, he's, he's going to be employed for quite a while, you know, cause this is a pretty big problem <laughs> and there are a lot of opportunities like that to, right. to, to deal with. But one of the things that I enjoyed about the conversation, we did spend quite a bit of time, you know, obviously you've listened to the interview, so you know, we talked a lot about social media and he talked a lot about social media, which is another way of saying, Hey, any individual can get involved and get engaged. And, you know, he talked about you're never too young to get started. And and the top seven, was it? People are YouTube stars. Yeah. You know, so the seven most influential people, YouTube stars. So, I mean, like, that's pretty amazing. And, like, from 12 on up, you know. So these are not people that have necessarily big empires or all the rest. They just were savvy about using social media and gained a following in a unique way. Right. So there's a way to do that. That comment made me pause and think about my social media interactions, which I have not done well to take social media very seriously personally. Right. You know, and it's just a good way for me as a takeaway is to say, you know, I should take a look at that. If I want my message to be more helpful to others and more broadly seen, maybe I should be a little bit more serious about that. But, you know, one of the things that I love about what he said is no matter how we do as Christians in the marketplace, in media, in the in the rest, what I love about what he said is I've seen the worst of the worst and I've not gotten cynical. Right. And he just was that, that reminder that even if we see something that is not you know, it just makes us shake our heads and go, why do we keep doing this? You know, right. it's like, why does it have to be this bad? Or why do we have to keep tripping over ourselves? Or why do we have to have such bad leadership? Or why do we have to have moral failure in the way that happens? And why does it have to be so embarrassing to the name of Christ? And Phil just really got back to that whole grounding as God isn't limited by any mm-hmm. of this bad stuff that happens. Or the people. Or the people. You know, I remember going to a Promise Keepers one time when they first came around, and I remember listening to one of the messages that was given, and it was one of the worst, I think, theologically inaccurate messages that were ever given. My hand was in my head just like, oh, Lord, you know, what is going on here? And then this person made an appeal, and the entire stadium kind of like went up to receive Christ. I'm like... That's amazing that even something that was poorly presented in in relatively inaccurate, I think, was like God used it. I mean, he can use even crummy stuff. It's not an excuse for not doing well, but it's just to say, hey, we're not the ones in control of this. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, God is able to prevail over all of that. I thought that was a really helpful reminder. Yeah, where he said God is bigger than the people representing him, the mistakes that they make, and their sins that they fall to. Exactly. Here's another thing, and maybe it makes me cynical, though. He's not cynical, but maybe I am. But one of the things I realize is kind of weird is that there's these Christian guard dogs, right, like who are hell-bent on being the guardians of the faith. 
And anytime you represent the Christian faith, if you don't represent it in a very specific way, the hound dogs come and get you. Sure. Right? Yeah. And we like, love to shoot our own. <laughs> yeah. And they alienate you. And then you become a cult leader and like you become on like a cult watch list and all these crazy things. Just I because, think you just put us there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think there's a reason why a lot of people are fearful of getting their stuff out there. And a lot of times I feel like it is the. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth all the all the humiliation or backlash or criticism that they might get. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess to that person, I would just say, you know what? the people that you influence and the people that you minister to that's more important than the people who criticize you and ridicule you because if there's something that's stirred in your heart for you to try to influence whoever your target audience is more than likely it's not because the devil put it there right it's probably because god put it there because he's maybe saying you have an ability to reach a certain people group that most other people can't and it's worth it it's worth the suffering it's worth the sacrifice it's worth the persecution and the ridicule because you're going to save a life right or you might impact life for the better amen to that armin and i don't i can't think of a better way to end the podcast than with that comment because we each by god have been given a mission and a mandate to take what we know and to change the world from it right and so to withdraw from that because you think you might get criticism to withdraw from that because you think it might be painful to withdraw from that for any reasons like hiding that mina under the pillow and saying here god hears it back and he's like you know what you could have done a lot better that's right (laughs) and so i don't want to be that guy that could have done a lot better amen and i think all of our listeners are listening because they don't want to be that person either and so i'm glad for that for you and if you enjoyed this podcast and pulled something out of it that inspired you would you let us know we'd love to hear your comments and just leave a comment on our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash two three because this is episode 23 or leave us a voicemail at 612-568-IDEA 612-568-IDEA we'd love for you to follow us on social media since we talked about it we're a bold <laughs> idea podcast on twitter and linkedin and facebook and google plus and of course listen we'd love for you to review our show on itunes and stitcher and you can do that easily just go to boldideapodcast.com slash review that really helps us out and we'd love for you to spread the word about this show because we're trying to let more and more people we want to get our light out there right right. we want to get our audience (laughs) up there right so would you help us with that and we'd be ever so grateful so this is larry gates and armin asadi and saying until next week we'll see you and god bless You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.